0: Worm sign. Is it worm sign? Yes, worm. Big one.
1: Welcome to franchise fan guys, where we are gonna be talking about Dune. I'm Tom Breifogel, joined with Andy Schmidt and Skidmar. Why don't you guys say hi?
2: Andy usually goes first. Go go first, Andy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Andy Schmidt. I am ready to talk about Dune, and I am the Quizat Hotarak. Hi, I'm Skid Marr, and I hate sand. It's coarse and irritating,
1: it gets everywhere. But not like Dune. Dune's good. Franchise fan, guys. Well, the first Dune movie came out in 1984 and received a 49% critic score and a 66% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Dune the sci-fi miniseries came out in 2000 and received a 75% audience score, but no critic scores available. Reviews seemed generally favorable though, if not overly enthusiastic. Neither release did incredibly financially, but neither of them tanked either. The sci-fi miniseries also spawned a sequel miniseries. There was also a failed attempt to make a Dune film in the 70s by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Its development has become legendary and a fantastic documentary about it came out in 2014. Now in 2021, we're about to get a new Dune adaptation. This time from acclaimed director Denis Villeneuve. Before we start, this first question: Did both of you guys grow up Dune fans? Did you uh, read the books?
2: Yeah, I, I read. I read Dune in I think fifth grade, and I I loved it. And it was about the same. It was around the same time that the, the Lynch film came out. And I, but I was way into the book. I love the book. And it was actually, this is so stupid, but there was a, a playground game going around when I was in fifth grade called BB Butcher. And it was so dumb. It's like if you were participating in the game and you said a word beginning with the letter B, anyone else playing in the game could punch you. That was the game. Oh, man. And so I was walking down the street, and I mentioned the Bene Gesserit from the book. uh, And this (laughs) kid, Mike Thompson, punched me right in the arm, and it really hurt. (laughs) And I wasn't playing. I was not participating in the game. And I started yelling. I was like, I'm not playing the stupid game. I just like that book. Anyway, (laughs) so yes, I was a huge Dune fan. Did he punch you again for saying book? Because that would have been awesome. <laughs> no, because I... <laughs> <laughs> then I would have been uh, playing by default if I had accepted hmm. that second punch. Uh,
0: I did not grow up uh, with Dune. I'm a, I'm a I'm a science fiction fan for sure, but uh, I read Dune. I'd say like maybe in high school or maybe I was in college, one of my older brothers, actually both my older brothers had read it, but one of them like was telling me how awesome it was. And I had already seen the Lynch film, which I did not love. Um, I didn't hate it. Um, but, uh, it made reading, I, I think seeing an adaptation of it first made reading the book more difficult in this case. That's not always the case for me, but it is because i kind of felt like because it's so detailed and all that sort of stuff i was kind of like yeah okay so let's get to this like i know this is coming um which i think detracted fairly significantly from my enjoyment of the book
1: yeah i still have yet to read the book well
2: and then so the, you did not the, grow up a fan
1: tom is that what you're saying it did not grow up a fan
2: <laughs> wow uh, uh, and had you seen
0: the movies in any of them? Oh, I've seen them all Did you do any prep what? for this? What? <laughs> I meant prior to this.
1: Uh, no, I had not seen. I knew nothing about it. My wife's a big fan of the books, and that's it. I used to get uh, Dune confused with Tremors, the nineties oh. movie Tremors. They're very I always similar. thought that was Dune. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. yeah they're not similar well, they're... at all, but uh they have same. <laughs> there's a worm. <laughs> there's yeah, a worm. there's one
2: element sand. that is similar yeah. in both both franchises. <laughs> um yeah, next up, Tremors guys. Wait for it. Oh, oh yeah.
0: On. No, I yeah, I have like this weird, like complicated thing. Like I think I want I want to love Dune because like reading it and even watching the films like i know there's all this like cool stuff that like appeals to me and and it is cool like i genuinely feel that it is cool and yet it's never clicked with me the way it has for so many people like like the way it's clicked with with kid i like it i definitely like it i like it actually quite a lot but it's never like become one of those like absolute favorite things for me but i'm hoping that'll change
2: he's more concerned over his men than the spies i must admit against all better judgment i like this duke
1: this is our first franchise that didn't break through to some degree even hellraiser spawned a dozen sequels dune has yet to break through in part likely due to high budgets needing bigger box office returns to justify more But it's also safe to say neither of these adaptations really hit the mark with audiences. So let's start with a base-level question. Do you think Dune has franchise-level potential in film and television? And if so, why? Skid?
2: Yes, I think so. I think there are those hurdles to cross, like you say, like the the big budget necessary. And I, I think that the aim for... People who've tried to adapt the story, at least like post hodorowski is to create Star Wars for adults. And in fact, Denny Villeneuve, I think he's quoted as saying exactly that. And that is a difficult thing to do. I think that you, one of the big uh, financial. Benefits that a movie like Star Wars has is the fact that it appeals to a very broad audience, children, adults, all love people who like sci-fi, people who don't really like it that much. Whereas Dune is more hard sci-fi and it's not really going to appeal to most kids. So it's, it's going to be harder to generate those kind of numbers, profit numbers, to justify its existence. I am hopeful enough about the Denny Villeneuve attempt. He's my favorite director working today. He is the one person that I would choose to helm this project, maybe ever. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of, it's, I'm hard pressed to think of anyone ever who I would find more uniquely suited to do this for my tastes than he is. So I have high hopes that the movie will be very good, and hopefully that'll be enough to make sure that they're they're able to finish this story. But, you know, I mean, I think he did an incredible job with Blade Runner 2049. But that movie was a financial disappointment. So I, I don't know. I, I I think it has a chance to do it, but there are a lot of reasons why it might not get there.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you that the potential is certainly there. Uh, I would also agree that Villanueva's the director I would want for this. I think I have seen all of his major releases at this point. Sicario is amazing. Incredible. Enemy enemy which was one of his earliest ones was ridiculously <laughs> creepy great um, prisoners awesome prisoners was um, was
2: completely gripping uh yeah Les lays on Les lays on this french language movie one of his early ones is amazing intense brutal great That one I have not seen. So I have not seen them all, I suppose. I'll I'll have
0: to check that one out for sure. And then, you know, Arrival is one of the best, you know, kind of harder science fiction films I've seen that's been released lately. And then Blade Runner 2049, uh, highest possible agreement with you on that skid. Like, that Mm -hmm. movie is phenomenal. Blade Runner is one of my all-time favorite films. And it's flawed, but I love it anyway. And I really just was kind of like... We just shouldn't make a sequel to this movie. Like enough time had passed, and like they just like just don't just don't bother like doing that. And then when it came out, and when I saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I actually went to uh, an IMAX screening of the final cut of Blade Runner, immediately followed by Blade Runner twenty forty nine. So I oh. saw them both in one sitting on a giant screen, and like I got to the end of Blade Runner again, and was like, well. I might just want to leave now because that was awesome. <laughs> and, and then 2049 completely blew me away. Uh, definitely one of my contenders for best sequel ever. Yes. So, like, completely agree. I'm very excited about this. Since this episode is going to drop before the release of Dune, assuming it doesn't get pushed back again, uh, it's worth mentioning that this film is Dune Part 1 that's coming out. Uh, so it only covers about half of the novel. So it's, I think that's worth like just setting expectations that it doesn't go the full, the full novel. So hopefully we'll get a Doom part two also, but you know, budget and all that stuff aside, I do think that you hit on a really good point skid, which I just want to highlight, which is, Star Wars for adults is a hard sell because it is the kids and it is the parents buying for kids that tends to make things a franchise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's where the money tends to get generated. That's wh- and not every franchise is like that. And obviously there are different sizes of franchises, right? But generally speaking, when you're trying to turn something into a franchise, so it, <clears throat> will this work? I certainly hope so. It's risky. Blade runner is awesome. Blade Runner twenty forty nine was awesome, and the people that are really into Blade Runner for the most part really like that sequel. But it wasn't enough, you know. It wasn't enough to get beyond that. You're not taking your kids to see it, you know. So uh, I just think that is a really, really difficult hurdle to overcome. You know, I mean, if you if you look across the board at franchises, um, you know, the ones that we've talked about, but way beyond that, most of them have some sort of kid appeal. Even the horror. Uh, stuff that we've talked about has a kid appeal. They tend to be, they tend to appeal to like teenagers, right? You know, um, so I think that's kind of the biggest hurdle. I do think there is. I mean, the world is so well formed in the book, um, and it's a harder sci-fi certainly than Star Wars, but I wouldn't qualify it as super hard sci-fi right like even the expanse which is one of my favorite films is a harder science fiction than dune there's a lot of stuff in dune that's just kind of like i mean they do a really great job of herbert did a great job of sort of explaining it and making it feel like it really all kind of works but like there's some stuff in there that's like i don't know you just have to accept that certain
2: things that don't exist exist now well he's um, really deliberately vague about a lot of the technical stuff which which i really like it's just it's keeps the story from getting too dated, but, but yeah, it's hard sci-fi would go into the science more than this does. And it, yeah. Right, right, right. I mean, it's, it's definitely harder sci-fi than star Wars. Don't
0: get me wrong. Um, uh, and I would argue probably harder sci-fi than star Trek actually not probably it certainly is, but you know, I, th- I do think that's also kind of limiting your audience because that more, cer- you know, the more cerebral you get again, sort of the more adult you're getting, limiting your audience even more just kind of. So you've got these hurdles to overcome right off the bat, but I do think that the world is so well-developed and there are, you know, these, all these different houses and there's more planets and more houses alluded to that the world of Dune uh, feels more complete and feels more vast. Like Star Wars plays a lot of lip service to, all the planets in the Republic and all that sort of stuff, but you don't really see them in the initial films. You don't really like meet them and they don't feel well-rounded. You know, that, that all that stuff happened later. Uh, whereas Dune, that stuff is all there in the novel. And so I think there is the, you know, the opportunity to make it from a franchise, from a perspective of all of the different types of stories that you can tell in this world, as long as they connect thematically and they, they appeal to the, you know, the core of Dune. So I think the potential is there. I just think, you know, I also think there is a way to do a version of Dune that appeals to more of a, the PG 13 crowd, um, you know, or the, or even the younger crowd, like there's a way to do a Dune, I would argue, um, that appeals to adults and appeals more to kids than likely what we're going to get, which I'm okay with. Cause I think it's going to be great. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a lot of stumbling blocks, giant budgets, Vast, you know, landscapes and whatnot, big world building, and it's made for adults, that's a lot of hurdles.
2: Mm.
0: What do you
1: think, Tom? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know of another franchise where I absolutely think this has franchise-level potential, and I kind of hate the movie and the miniseries, but I'm excited <laughs> for this. Uh, yeah, and th- I feel like it being pushed back a year or maybe even more than a year, I feel like the hype is very strong right now. I feel like, or maybe it's just with my friends. Like, everyone is so excited for Dune. And it's been building since what was supposed to come out last December, and everybody is so excited, and so am I, now that I know the story. And now I, I've, I've only seen the trailers, but I feel like it's going to be far superior to both of these. Um, just based off the trailers, I could think the casting is already better. I can think it, it just already seems more fun, too, um, they swapped, just based off trailers.
0: They swapped out... Uh toto for pink floyd in the trailer so that's a step in the right direction
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah they did the trailerized pink floyd (laughs) yeah one other potential hurdle is i mean at this recording we're still in the throes of what the sixth or seventh wave of covid and so i don't know what constitutes a box office success in this climate because you're just you're certainly not going to get the attendance numbers that you would before the pandemic i don't know how and it's you know it's releasing simultaneously on hbo max i don't know what the revenue is going to look like or how you measure a success given what's going on so i don't know if that how that how much that's going to factor into it that degree of difficulty but that's something else that has to be considered too for sure
0: yeah, I certainly have no real answer for that. I mean, I can I, I was looking at the box office numbers of a couple of releases recently and like Black Widow was a legitimate box office success. Like, And even though it was released with with a premium access, so I think you paid $30 if you wanted to watch it on Disney Plus, you know, the day of the theatrical release, even with that happening at the same time, the the theatrical run you know i haven't i haven't looked at it in a while but like last time i looked at it it was around 200 million dollars um in, wow. in domestic box office revenue so like it did and unless i am misremembering that but you know i think i think it did quite well which i was really quite surprised cuz like i'm not going back to theaters but i also live in a part of the country where you know most of us don't believe in most of the people around here don't believe in masks or viruses and mm-hmm. things like that so um i'm not inclined to to go back to a theater right now, but, um, which breaks my, breaks my heart, breaks yeah. My heart. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're, we are going to, you know, I'm sure every movie studio is figuring out what those calculations look like for them. And they probably don't, you know, there's probably not going to be a, a, uh, like a base metric, you know, the way, the way it used to be like, if, if a movie made a hundred million dollars, it was like sort of, commonly accepted that that was an official blockbuster an unofficial official blockbuster. Right. So I don't think we've got that in the era of COVID, but um, one thing that might actually work to the advantage of this film is that because it is a part one, assuming that we do get out of the pandemic uh, at some point in the future, if they do a part two, they could re-release part one. Mm uh theatrically and completely justify that. And I think they yeah. could, there's another bite at that apple. I mean that release won't be massive most likely, but the but the potential for uh the potential for more theatrical runs I think is is there. The the other the other thing that did occur to me too is that historically and this sounds really kind of silly, but there are certain colors that tend not to do blockbuster business and Beigeish, brownish is one of them. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I know, like, in the toy industry, for example, like, you don't see many boys brand action toys that are green. Because green toys for boys, unless it's dinosaurs, and even most dinosaurs now are not green. They're gray and there are other colors, but um, don't tend to sell very well. There's like, wow. there's, like, decades of historical data. Yeah. Green Lantern was a miserable failure in toys. It was a miserable failure, really, in a lot of ways. But but certainly in toys, there was a lot of Green Lantern product that
2: went nowhere. Wow. Um, so I guess yeah, that was, explains why the sequel to Blue is the Warmest Color, Beige is the Lamest Color, didn't go anywhere.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's, that was it. That was it. That's how that meeting went.
2: How many men do you have? Full crew, 26 men. But, sire,
1: we can't leave all this spice. Damn the spice. Get out of there.
0: Uh, but yeah, but I do, th- I do think that having a, a, a landscape that is so monochromatic and sort of the, 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 the sort of drabbier earth tones, like, and that's one of the things that I'm really curious about with this new film is I, as I'm curious to see what they do to, to change, to change that up and create more opportunities for contrast.
1: So what are you hoping for
0: visually? Uh, I completely trust this director to take me on a super cool visual journey. So I I don't really ha- like I you know I have ideas of my own but I'm not hoping that the like I I think Denny Villanueva is 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 better at this than I am so I I really just kind of want to go in and see what he does with it
2: totally yeah I think one of the things I like about and it's funny he tends to shoot in like really muted colors like that so yeah but one of the things that I like about him is he has this unflinching filmmaker's eye in a way that kind of kubrick did and it's i can't explain it it's just like this this way of like holding on a shot that raises tension so beautifully and is so penetrating and i just can't wait to see that applied to this world i think
1: it's it's so exciting yeah i'm excited to see which I'm sure there'll be a lot of, just extremely detailed sets, the type of backgrounds where you can just pause the screen and it looks like a piece of art. Like, mm. I feel like even if it's a world of beige and brown, I think, I think that'd be so beautiful. I can't wait to see that sort of stuff.
0: What happens now? Well, the carry-all will come and
2: lift off the spice harvester.
1: All right, so all the directors that have worked on Dune are all artistically driven and demanding directors. One might even say quirky Is there something about the Dune novel that draws more auteur-style filmmakers to the material? And do you think that's ultimately helped Dune or hurt it? Andy?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the novel, kind of like we were saying before, draws a more adult um, adult worldview. And there's so much going on in that world that I think, you know, the more tour directors probably are inspired more because there's just so much material and the, in the novel is so dense. Um, interestingly, Joe Dorowski sort of famously said he hadn't even read the book when he decided that that was the movie he wanted to make. Um, but I think, you know, it's pretty clear that once he started getting into the book, you know, it like the the ideas just kept flowing. So there's so many opportunities for artistic expression and interpretation that I think a a, a book like this uh, where the visuals aren't really nailed down other than sort of in the broad strokes, you know. So that I think I think that probably it does draw uh, directors of that of that ilk to it for that reason um, <clears throat> on the second part of the question. I really don't know if it's hurt it or helped it. I mean, the Lynch movie, I think, is fairly hit or miss for people. I know some people that love that movie, and I know other people that think it's okay, and I know other people that hate it. The sci-fi miniseries kind of went in the opposite direction. You know, that's the one where I would say, you know, nothing against that director, but, like, it's not really an art tour sort of thing. It's much more of a, we have a lot of material to cover, let's get it done sort of stuff, which is not to say that there isn't cool artistic expression in it, but you know, the, the approach from the Lynch to the sci-fi miniseries are, are very different. And so I do know people that hate one and like the other and vice versa, you know? So it, I don't know. I think it probably has not hurt it because there are enough people that love the Lynch, you know, um, and, and are fascinated by the, by the film that wasn't made by Joe Dorowski that I think, that the base core like hardcore fan base is still there. And I think that is something that, that can be built off of. So I would say, I think it don't, I don't think it has hurt it.
1: I think I I really hate the Lynch film, but I think it looks good. I think 80% of it looks pretty good. I think it's all in the writing. What I didn't like, I felt like it was like a book report. I was taking notes too. And it was really so much information to just memorize in the first three minutes of the movie. But As far as the the directorial approach, I thought it was awesome.
2: Yeah, I love the Lynch movie. I love it uh, deeply. (laughs) I really do. It's a mess. I will agree wholeheartedly that it's a complete mess, but I fucking love it. I love the art design. I love the weirdness. I love David Lynch, first of all. And I know he doesn't like the movie for good reasons, but just there's enough of his stamp on it to make it uh just something really weird and different. Uh it's got, you know, the the Jeff Lynne, the score um is is in the score is incredible. I love the casting. It's like so many of those sets, you know, it's like uh Patrick Stewart and Jurgen Prochnow, like all these fantastic, epically epic presence sort of of actors on on in the in the movie i i fucking love it man (laughs) i really do and i get it too because like i came into it knowing what the story was so i didn't have to sit there because yeah it's incredibly hard to piece together what the story is if you're just watching that movie so i i get that well first of all yeah Hodorowski hadn't read dune david lynch had never heard of dune But when he started to (laughs) read it, he got really into it. And I think one of the reasons is that the book itself uh, presents a far future that is very imaginative and feels like it makes sense. It feels like a logical progression of our own history. But it's also there's enough vagueness in some of the descriptions of a lot of these things that there's a lot of room for interpretation, uh, especially visually, like as, as a director, which I think might be attractive. So I think it may have hurt it because I think some of these people's sensibilities are so grand and, uh, off the mainstream that it takes an already difficult story for people to understand and makes it more difficult to understand. That's, that's a danger. But I feel like Denis Villeneuve has enough mainstream sensibility to be able to make a story that will be comprehensible to a broader public. I think uh, there's that's a, that's a good chance of that happening
0: i would agree with that about the, this new one that, that he's got that crossover appeal not not to say that lynch hasn't had some sort of crossover successes but generally speaking he's on the artsy side and there's sort of there's sort of like a ceiling to what his films will do there's a certain type of people that want that quirky off-kilter stuff um and we'll go and will go seek out lynch films whereas uh, I feel like Denny is is completely capable of bringing that aesthetic to something that has a more mainstream appeal. You know, yeah. I think we've seen that in, in, in his stuff so far. Um, so I would I, I would agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting that that <laughs> Tom that you're like I hate the David Lynch movie, and then you turn around and you say part of it is awesome. Um, and I feel like visually, that, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like that kind of sums up. Uh yeah, I feel like that kind of sums up how I feel about that movie. I will say that watching it for this podcast, I enjoyed it quite a bit more than I had. I think probably because I was really paying attention. I was yeah, I was watching it in a different way, paying attention to different things. You know, even the sound design in it is really good. The use of mm-hmm. sound is 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 quite good, and it is interesting too that that thing was made in what 1984 came out in 84, and the sci fi miniseries that came out. Uh, 16 years later the special effects don't hold up as well as the 1984 no at least that was that was my opinion i no. don't I, I don't think that's going to be a controversial one though um, <laughs> no uh, yeah uh, and i was i was more disappointed with the sci-fi uh miniseries than i thought i would be because
2: i kind of liked that when it came out so. i think it's it was nice that it's more it, it is the definitely more faithful to the source material the the sci-fi miniseries but the budget's not there. Honestly, the talent on the acting talent's just not there. It's just not it's just not a solid production.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. There's there was um uh the DVD has like production notes on it for the sci-fi miniseries. And so I read I was reading through those and there was this like funny bit in it where they're like, Yeah, we were gonna film this in the actual desert in Tunisia, but for artistic reasons We decided to film it on the soundstage. (laughs) Artistic (laughs) reasons, yeah. And I was like, "Hmm, could you
2: elaborate on these artistic (laughs) reasons? Because this movie looks like shit. It does. Although I will say that some of the desert sets, they look totally cheap. They look like original series Star Trek. But the backgrounds kind of look like the covers to the old, like, original printings of the books with the, oh, the, the cool. stone formations and stuff which is i don't know if it really if it works but it's it's interesting yeah
0: that uh, that is cool if that's where they were drawing the, the inspiration that's that's neat
2: i also i said jeff lynn i of course meant brian Eno. i don't know why i said jeff lynn i think I was like elo instead of eno but anyway great music and the lynch version
1: Do either of you think the Jodorowsky film would have actually been awesome? Or do you think our imaginations will... uh like, like the movie Superman Lives, I'm, I'm like kind of fascinated by that movie because it was never made, and I've watched documentaries on it, but deep down I probably know it wouldn't have been a good movie. And that's kind of how I feel about that version of Dune. I'm like fascinated by it, and the storyboards look amazing, and I'm kind of intrigued to read the Inkle. I didn't know if either of you have read that, or what do you think his film would have ended up being if it actually was able to be released? Uh, I'll take this one skid i think it sure. would have
0: been a beautiful beautiful disaster like i think totally <laughs> i think we would be talking about it uh to this day because it would be like the ambition and and the casting choices like everything about it seems like it was s- like shooting for the stars and yet, even after watching that documentary, which is very very complimentary towards it, I did not get the sense that they were going to successfully pull it off. Like, I think we, it would be like sort of, you know, sort of the Ishtar of science fiction, you know, like this giant sweeping thing that was made and we all go, how the hell did this happen? You know, <laughs> but which isn't to say that we, we all would think that it sucked. We would all just be like. How did this happen? Like, and and there would be parts of it I think that we, that that people would love, but there, but on the whole, I think it would have been a, a disaster. Like, I don't, I don't think it would have reached. It, I do not think it would likely have reached a uh, a wider appeal than you know than the Lynch film did. I think the Lynch film would 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 by comparison look like the look like the hey, they really. Tried to, you know, make this an audience. You know, make a movie for an audience <laughs> <Yeah>. for everyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, I, the the I agree with you. Like the fascination of what would have been. I mean, the fact that he was, <laughs> that he was casting Salvador Dali. Is, yeah. <laughs> patently ridiculous. For five ridiculous. minutes. For two minutes. <laughs> And the way that they did it to get him to sign on board to make him the quote-unquote highest paid actor of all time is the most clever and dumbest and beautiful disaster way to work something (laughs) around. Like, I I felt like that encapsulated everything that I felt about what that production would have been. What I would love to see are those storyboards, though. Apparently, there's that storyboard book of, like, what he had Mm. planned is, is there. I would love to see that. And that could change my mind. But, yeah, a beautiful disaster. That's how I would that's what i think that would have been
2: yeah i agree i think it would have made heaven's gate look like jaws i think it would have <laughs> forever been the, the yardstick by which we measure massive failures and i think it would have been amazing i probably would have loved it in much the same way i love david lynch's dune but it's like uh hodorovsky i think is insane And I like a lot of the choices, the story choices, the changes that he wanted to make to the story are so bizarre and out there and uh, horrible that uh, that I think purists would have despised it. And also, I think one of the big things that we would have lost probably is we never would have gotten Star Wars because that would have come out before Star Wars had come out. And I think it would have poisoned the well for sci-fi maybe for a decade like we would never get like a big budget sci-fi movie and the rest of the 70s so i think i'm you know as fascinating as it is i'm very glad it was never made i don't think it really ever had a serious chance of really being made but i'm glad Skid it didn't we, because we still would have gotten barbarella though right that's true that's true there's okay. always there's always that solace but <laughs> <laughs> There's always going to be. Barbarella is unstoppable. <laughs> that's is true. <laughs> Overall, I mean, we did get one really good movie out of it, which is hodorowsky's doing documentary. That's great. You know, and yeah, all yeah. the like. That's, that's where it should end. Yeah. Yeah, and the and just bringing together all those minds, all that talent that would later collaborate with another like um, more viable projects like alien and and Star Wars and everything else is is that made it worthwhile but yeah very glad it was never made
1: did either of you ever read the inkle I didn't know how similar its story is to dune uh,
2: yeah i've
0: I've read it uh I've, and there are there are several volumes to it um it's not very similar to dune um mm. there was a there was have you ever seen the movie um the fifth element there was a lawsuit over the fifth element because it was quite similar to the ink call and in certain ways. Oh. Um, so there was actually a lawsuit um, there, but you know, if you're looking for some, you know, for a film comparison to the Ink call of fifth element is, you know, closer to it. Um, certainly not the same, but closer to it.
1: I loved fifth element. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I really loved that movie when it came out and there were moments of Dune that uh, reminded me of it or other way around. Mm. Just the feeling it gave me, I guess they're really having to pay attention which, I guess when I was 13, I really had to pay attention to Fifth Element to soak it all in.
0: Yeah, I, I like the Fifth Element. I think it's a really fun, kind of underrated film. But um, it's also one interesting thing about the Fifth Element is that the villain and the hero never meet in the entire film. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, right. a scene, there's a scene where they, uh, they walk almost right next to each other. One person exits a room right as the other one enters the room. And that's the closest they get to meeting.
2: No other cloud quite
1: like it. Last question of this episode: uh, the novel creates a vast world and galaxy with complex characters, fully realized politics, economies, and numerous characters. In other words, it's epic. Where have the adaptations thus far done well with that, and where have they stumbled? Andy?
0: Um, they've done well um, They've done well, I think, with the visual design like you were saying Tom like the especially the Lynch film the visual design the costumes i remember like when the 1989 batman film was coming out that like one of like the big deals was that the guy that designed the batman costumes was had had done the dune designs i hope i'm not misremembering <laughs> that i didn't look it up beforehand but um but like i remembered like that that actually i remember when that was sort of announced that i went and watched dune because i wanted to see like how cool the the designs were going to be. Um, and then we got a Batman who couldn't move his head, but, um, (laughs) anyway, it, it still looked cool. I liked that movie a lot. Uh, but, uh, But yeah, it was uh, I think they got I think they got a lot of the detail stuff right. Um, One of the things that kind of made me like instantly dislike the sci fi film when I watched it this time, I'd never noticed this before. But the opening shot of that film shows Arrakis shows the planet of Dune uh, and it's got clouds on it. Um, oh, uh, I did not notice that. I was just wondering where that moisture came from. when like rain today. Point, <laughs> the whole freaking point of this thing is that there's so little water. And I was just like, "You have got to be effing kidding me!" Um, and it, like immediately took me out and like soiled my impression of that of all 38 hours of that that I was about to watch. Um, but I, the I think the big thing that is that is a really big issue here is not just the number of characters i think you can deal with that there are certain characters that for a film adaptation if you wanted to you could combine them you could you could tighten your cast up if you wanted i don't know that that's necessary really choosing your focus characters i think would be would be necessary but the real stumbling block that i think they both had in the sci-fi miniseries had much more a much longer running time to deal with it is they feel like there are these big moments in the novel that are powerful and tremendous and carry this weight because that novel takes the time to build them up so you build up to these like, major reveals or you know, there's much more discussion about the legends and the prophecies and where do the prophecies come from and what do they mean to the people and how is that baked into the culture so that when we get to a point where a prophecy is maybe being fulfilled or somebody is using a prophecy to their advantage, even though it, it, the prophecy might be entirely bullshit, like that th- those are giant payoffs. Whereas what I feel like the film adaptations do, and part of this is due to um, in part to the fact that it's a different medium. Uh, uh, novels are better for communicating a, a lot of that um, or easier to communicate a lot of that. But in the Lynch film, especially I feel like, you know, like you, you get to the end of that film and, and the sister's like, he is a that, And I'm like, I don't know that they actually mentioned <laughs> what that was yeah, right i was like who's that <laughs> what <laughs> What does that mean that only means something if i've read the book and i feel i felt like there's a lot of that there are the, there's a lot of those moments where I f- it feels like the filmmakers are like "Eh, big moment right and you're kind of like is <laughs> it i'm like maybe it should be uh so i think that's the biggest thing is that that the, the, they're rushing to get to the payoff And I'd rather them use fewer payoffs and set the ones they do use up correctly. And maybe, you know, that could be something that you just go, okay, we're just not going to deal with this aspect of the book so that we've got the ability to make the parts that we are dealing with really land. And I think that would be a a viable and and an appropriate way to go. But I think that's kind of my biggest biggest issue, that and that the special effects in the sci-fi one are really pretty atrocious. I, I also made a mistake of watching that on a very large screen, which mm. did not do it, which did not do it any favors. Like I should
2: have yeah. watched that on a smaller,
0: on a smaller television.
2: Yeah. I think I, I agree with Andy. I think it boils down to the main shortcoming of the Lynch version is they were so concerned, uh, the uh the producers, they were so concerned about getting the running time down that they ended up truncating so much of the story. And this is a sprawling story that really does need that time for setups and for these things to be paid off. Uh, if you try to compress it too much, it just it just stops making sense. So that was the main the main problem with the Lynch version and with the sci-fi version, it was just the it was the budget like if they could have afforded I mean like sci-fi at the time they weren't producing you know stuff like the expanse like no basic cable network was doing anything of like the kind of things we see there's pretty like even like battlestar so yeah. there wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- yeah there was no there was no sort of template for basic cable big scope stuff like this. So, you know, sci-fi they just put a
0: lot behind it.
2: I mean, they, they, they had a huge marketing campaign for it
0: and it, and it did spawn a sequel. And I wonder if there were lessons learned. I have no, I have no insight into this, but I am curious now, now that you're kind of talking about it, if sci-fi was like, Hey, that worked in certain respects and it kind of, you know, like you were talking about, like if Joe Dorowski's doing it, come out that we never would have gotten star Wars. I wonder if the sci-fi channel doing this, Allowed, yeah, it, did that impact like green lighting something like Battlestar Galactica with a bigger budget and better special effects? Like, I, yeah, I don't know the I, answer to that, but it, it could
2: have. I think I probably, I think one probably had a little something to do with the other f- for sure. Um, it, I think at least it gave them sort of a topographical map of pitfalls to, that they might want to avoid. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I just think it's just like, I, and I, I, I feel mean saying this, but just the talent was not there. It was just, they just couldn't attract the talent. And, you know, and the, the, you know, stuff like the Harkonnen uniforms in the movie, they just look so cheap. They look like community theater grade work. And it's so funny, like, you know, a year later we'll get Fellowship of the Ring and just the amount of care and detail and skill going into the production design on something like that versus what we get here it just uh
1: it just makes me kind of nauseous to look at <laughs> but yeah that's uh that's it i thought the casting on the tv show everyone was so forgettable and so many characters looked the same, even mm-hmm. like the main character and, and Fued, I would be like, which, Oh, the guy who looks like Tom Brady. Like, Oh, both of them do like, or like Jessica. So many scenes. I was like, hold on. Is that her? Is, right. Oh, I can't tell. Like, and I couldn't tell from scene to scene. Whereas in the Lynch film, you obviously know which one Jessica is. And yeah. And, and sting is Fouade. And it's just, yeah, it, it was cast much better. The, the casting in that one was so in the, Miniseries. World's, world's different.
2: And there's no yeah. There's no diversity. I mean it's it's especially sort yeah. of glaring in the miniseries. There's zero diversity to that cast. And I know it's twenty years ago, but still it's like it's it's sort of inexcusable. <laughs> yeah. There's an Italian guy.
0: Oh right. I take it back. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Alright. <laughs> uh yeah, I, you know, I do. I do look at those the Lynch versus the sci fi one, and I feel like the Lynch one at least tried to get to like sort of the the heart, or I don't even know if it's the emotional, but it like it it tried to get to the flow of the book, like it tried to get to the to the essence. Whereas the sci fi one feels like you know, pun intended, that it's very by the book. Right, it's like this happens mm-hmm. and this happens. It's, you know, it's very sort of like these are the events that take place in the book, and then I think it right. feels that way in part because of what you were saying, Skid. But um, but yeah, they're like they they feel like two incredibly different approaches to the same material that fail for different reasons. Mm-hmm. That fail is maybe harsh, but they're they're a bit fall like short. Yeah. yeah, fall short. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Thanks for listening to Franchise Fan Guys Dune episode one of three please write a review and give a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts intro music by tom Bryfogel and john harvey to connect visit franchisefanguys.com at franchisefanguys on instagram and at guys franchise on twitter Franchise franchisefanguys